0: Good morning, we are at the end of our series of Galatians, I'm going to turn this on, maybe there we go, Um, and so I'm excited um, to uh, close out our series on Galatians uh, this morning, Um, would you pray with me, I'm just feeling a little... God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I was a new baby Christian, I was in a community that did not have any problems letting you know when you were in sin. Most of the time, it was done in private, thank God. Um, Sometimes it was done with tenderness. But all of the time, there was something I reflected on, and I took back um, to God. I was normally usually pretty grateful for those interactions, um, but man, I was always appreciative when it was done in love and in gentleness, in our social media heavy attention hungry smartphone addicted world our mess ups can rise to another level of embarrassment and shame we have entered into what i call the call out era someone might take a picture and then publicly and mercilessly call yo stuff out. Right? One blogger says this, that someone parks over a yellow line, take a picture of their license plate, share it on Facebook, so that your friends can all mock that person. You don't like the email that you received from your kid's teacher? Post it on Reddit. See someone with questionable taste in fashion? Snap a photo. Blog a whole thing about it. Public shaming is out of control. And the ones who suffer the most, I think, are the kids. A dad records a video of him cutting off a 13-year-old's hair as punishment. A mom makes her son walk into a Walmart in a tutu and women's undergarment with the word bad shaved into his head. The worst is that people are actually hoping that other people will join in with them by liking or commenting on that public shaming. Not okay. Even dogs are being publicly shamed. <laughs> I took four sticks of butter from a grocery bag. I ate two, smeared the third on the couch. Mom is still searching for the fourth. I peed on my owner's coworker's shoe in the office while he was wearing it. I ate 12 pounds of chicken off the counter during game four of the World Series, then puked it up on the four-month-old puppy. I poop in dark bedrooms, and I eat the evidence. <laughs> Poor dogs. And this is all over social media, right? I'm in the box of shame today because, fill in the blank any time of the day, I threw up. (laughs) Poor dog. I'm going to leave that one up there for a little bit. When you see someone doing something you passionately think is wrong, what do you do? For some of us, we get angry. We want to correct, we want to call out, we want to bring retributive justice. You got what you deserved! Some of us want to do it publicly so other people will know, maybe consciously or subconsciously, to shame them. For some of us, we're so terrified of that other person getting angry at us, and we just don't even want conflict. Some of us, we're so scared not just of another person's anger, we're scared of our own. And we're so scared that we're going to hurt someone else, that our words would cause pain, that we're hesitant to say the honest thing that needs to be said. We can swing so extreme from one side to the other. We want to mercilessly call people out to seek vengeance, Or we're silent in ways that add to more injustice, both to the oppressed and to the oppressor. And both are toxic, my friends. My question is, is are you the dog in the box of shame? Are you the one posting the picture? Have you ever made a mistake in your life? And you were harshly, publicly called out on it how did you feel? Did you feel better or worse about yourself? How did you feel in relationship with that person who was calling you out? Did you feel like that relationship got restored? Probably not. Can you think of a time when our good, good God gently restored you Maybe God used a person. How did that impact your relationship with that person? Last week, Pastor Mark preached about the upward stream of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, its passions, its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Paul knew that as the Galatians would attempt to live out these fruit of the Spirit... Man, that they would experience themselves or see others with major moral failures along the way. Paul was building up a church and a people who looked like Jesus, whose faith was going to be expressed through love. And as Jesus followers, we should look differently than the revenge-seeking public shaming of this world. Amen? So what do we do When someone actually sins, how do we build up a Christ-centered community? Well, I think that our passage in Galatians 6, um, Paul begins to address it. So if you are able, please stand in the hearing of God's word. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you might also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that there's something, when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. One who reaps what one sows, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use when I write to you in my own hand. Those who want to impress people by the means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The reading of God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Paul starts off with this passage and he says, If you are someone, if someone is caught in sin, And it's not like caught like this, like I'm hiding behind the podium and I'm trying to check you out and I'm like, oh, they did it again! caught you that's not what the scripture is saying it's actually meaning the act is like that you're entangled you have fallen beside you've fallen out a step of line you have a step to the side from the way that you've been going forward you are in habitual a pattern of sin that you're entangled with you're caught in it not someone caught you Sin here means that it's it's not just the one-off moral failure, um, oops, I, I threw up again, like a dog did or something, but rather it's a pattern, it's habitual, it's enslaving, it's in- addictive. And if someone is trapped in this habitual pattern, you who live by the Spirit should post it and publicly shame them. No. You should... Say something really critical and get a big group to also agree with you. No. You should verbally attack them, maybe in private then. No. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Two words there that stand out to me. Restore and gently. One of the fruit of the Spirit, and the same Greek word that we're using here, is the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Can we say gentleness? Gentleness. Gentleness Gentleness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. It's humility, it's courtesy, it's considerateness, it's meekness. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I like what um, the message version is in this, and so I'm going to go back and forth with that translation. But it says, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him or her, saving your critical comments to yourself. <laughs> The goal here is restoration. We have to ask ourselves that when we go and we come and confront or talk to someone lovingly about sin. Is my goal really to restore or is it just merely to call someone out? To make myself feel a little bit more superior? We are freed people. Christ has set us free, and I love what Toni Morrison says, is that the function of our freedom is to free someone else, right? Christ, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now go and be about that liberation in the world, amen? Gentleness doesn't mean that what the person is doing is okay, Gentleness is not dismissing sin. Gentleness can be clear and kind, and it communicates humility and help. It doesn't seek to shame or to harm, but to restore. It doesn't say, if you see someone who's entangled in sin, don't say anything, right? The scripture is telling us to do something, but to do it with restoration, and to do it with gentleness. One of my seminary professors, Dean Borgman, used to always tell us um, in our uh, racism class, uh, Christianity and the Problem of Racism, and he'd always say, loving is not always nice, and nice is not always loving. It is, takes a fair amount of courage to be clear, and Brene Brown would say that clear is kind, Unclear is unkind. Be honest and genuine with one another, but have that openness, that humility to understand that we may not have the whole picture, right? So, how do we go about this gentle restoration? Paul gives us some warnings, and then he gives us some, um, here's some more positive things that we can do about it. The warnings are conceit. Comparison, self-centered. See, I alliterated. Three points, I don't usually do that. Uh, So conceit. If you think that you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself the message says. The definition of conceit is found in verse 3 from the NIV. It says, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. A.K.A., you ain't all that in a bag of chips, right? That's in another translation. Um, Luke 6:42 says this, that how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when You yourself fail to see that you got a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye. Then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I know that that was the male version of that. It's also sisters too. God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. This is one of my favorite quotes Be kinder than necessary. Everyone is going through their own battle. This is what someone's life is, and that is the section of what we actually know. I like to also translate it to say, Don't be unkind. People are hurting with scars that we cannot see. Sometimes the ones who do the most hurtful things are too ashamed to even venture into their own story to understand the reasons why they do it. Or maybe they are so self-reflective, but they are so ashamed that they can't even bear utter the words out loud to anyone. We are not God. There's always a story. There's always more than what's going on. And in our goal of restoration, we have to be humble and not conceited. We gotta take that plank out of our eye. Have you ever been mistreated or misunderstood? And have you ever had that feeling of, oh, if they only knew my story? Whether it is us or someone else coming to us about someone else, we have to remember this picture. I hope this gets etched in your head. (laughs) It doesn't mean that we don't say anything if someone's in a pattern of sin. But man, that we go in tenderly with the hope of restoration. Now throughout this sermon, I know what you guys are going to be thinking because I thought of it when I was doing it too. So-and-so should really hear this, right? If you're thinking that, you gotta turn the finger back and say, okay, God, what is it that I need to hear, okay? Because I, I have to do the same thing. So I'm with you. Comparison. Each one should test their own actions. Does it say someone else's? No, their own. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instruction. Man, comparison will bring you down. Um, Jaren was telling me about a book that she was reading once about social media and teenagers today and the increase of... of um, self-harm and depression and saying that, you know, back in the day, hope it's okay if I'm using your example, uh, back in the day, it used to be like you lived in a village, and it'd be like, okay, so I only compare myself with the village. You know, I may not be the smartest or the cutest or the most athletic, but there's a whole wide world that I don't know about. I'm, I'm sure I'm not that bad. Now the whole wide world is there, and everyone's like, oh, man, I definitely am not the cutest, I am not the smartest, I am not the most athletic, fill in the blank, right? And because of this deep connection of comparing ourselves constantly with one another on social media, it is increasing anxiety and depression and even self and other harm. So so don't do it. (laughs) If you can. <laughs> um, the other piece of this scripture, and it's kind of a little one off, but I do think it's important. I always thought that this passage of like, share, if you receive instruction in the word, to share it with your instructor meant like, tell your pastor everything good that you're learning. I was like, literally what I thought. Um, but as I've been studying it, um, It actually, what most scholars agree, that it's referring to kind of sharing um, in the community, the body of believers, everything that God has given you. And they actually talk about um, financial giving. It's the same Greek words that Paul uses throughout other parts of scripture when he's talking about not withholding and being generous uh, to the churches. Um, Based on what was going on in Galatia, most of the churches, if not all the churches, were not adequately compensating their Christian leaders. Um, They didn't have a teacher's union. Um, And so it was kind of this this moment of um, kind of saying, be generous, share um, with those who are teaching. Now that was awkward for me to say, so we're going to move on. Um, Self-centered. Okay, so let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Man, you might have felt a little bit more excited about your faith, your relationship with Jesus, about church, about serving, about ministry at other times in your life than right now. That's okay. Some of you guys are like, no, I'm great. I'm hunky-dory. That's great too. But if you're in that earlier category, the scripture is telling us don't lose heart. Sometimes you need to take breaks and that's okay. Sometimes God is silent. But it doesn't mean that God's not good and that God has left you. Amen? Keep in step with the spirit. Don't become selfish and don't stop caring about one another. The text doesn't say don't have boundaries. doesn't say that you can't say no. But it's saying keep Jesus first. Keep Jesus first and you won't burn out and you won't get cynical. And keep loving the body of believers. Carry one another's burdens. The commentary, uh, commentary says that this, what Paul is saying in uh, Galatians 5 and 6 is this quarrelsome conceit, the envy, the aloof to people's need, the pride to misuse this Christian freedom has disastrous results in both personal and corporate ways that is destructive. Part of ways that we help untangle it is by continuing to keep Jesus as our center and continue to love one another. Amen? John Wesley says this. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. But y'all are all covenants. You never heard of John Wesley. So I'm going to tell you about him. I'm just joking. Um, He says, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, all the people you can as long as ever you can. Amen? Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. I'm going to get back to that. I skipped, I skipped writing a scripture. Conceit comparison, and self-centered. So we get to that whole end of Galatians, the whole book, and he kind of ends with like, hey, this is what I've been talking about the whole time. This is why. Now look for the conceit, comparison, and self-centered. Galatians 11. Now in these last sentences, I want to emphasize, oh, I did have it right. In these sentences, I want to emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting the immense importance of what I have written to you. That's pretty big. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you only have one motive they want an easy way to look good before others lacking the courage to live by faith that shares in Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about law is gas. They themselves don't keep the law. And they are highly selective about the laws that they do deserve, observe. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. Can you see it? The conceit, the comparison, the self-centered. They only care about getting people to do or to not do religious, legalistic things just so that they can look good because they think that they're better and that they're comparing their spiritual morality with other people. They're just thinking about not just looking good, but not being persecuted by these Judaizers at the time. They don't want to share in Christ's suffering. So we too need to be aware. Are we conceited? Are we conceited? Are we conceited that we are maybe more conservative or more progressive than other people? We see this on both extremes. I am morally pure. I pray more. I know more Bible than you. You are less Christian than me. I am spiritually superior. You are spiritually inferior. Or, on the other hand, it's I am socially conscious. I am woke, woke, woke (laughs) about all the injustices of the world and you are taking an apathetic nap. I am living out my faith more faithfully than you. Conceit. Comparison self-centered. Both condemn the other and they don't offer that gentle restoration Christ-centeredness that we all need. Amen. Can't you hear both of those things and can't you help but to think, "Man, we really need one another to be more whole." Amen. Do we see one another as people on the journey along the way. Jesus welcomes everyone to the table through the cross. Not just by our Bible knowledge, not just by our socially active works. Both are good and they're not necessarily at odds with one another. They don't need to fight. They work together because they're both central to the faith expressing itself through love the thing that Paul says is the only thing that counts. If we are asking other people to love people they don't like, then God is asking us to do the same. Amen? So how do we live into this radical love that defies all that the world tells us? Cross, central, creating. Verse 14. For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world. Set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Central. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? Paul writes It is not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision, it is what God is doing. Right? It is not about what we do or what we don't do or what others do or what others don't do. It is about what God is doing. Stop trying to please others. Stop trying to compare yourself and get ahead and get er, woke-woke-er-ist. I don't know. To be superior, to do things that make others feel like second-class citizens. Paul uses that same language like he did in Galatians 5. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. What he's saying here in the NIV, what counts is what God is doing. What counts is faith expressed through love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I speak in tongues of people or angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, I do not have love, I gain jack squat. Faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love, my friends. If we are to pursue God's justice, we gotta do justice justly. It has to come from a deep love. Amen? So what is God doing, right? And this is what the scripture says. It is what God is doing. And God is creating something totally new. A free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people. That's what it means to really be God's children. Peace and mercy on them. Something new is happening, my friends. We are free from being self centered because Jesus has set us free and has called us to be part of this restoring work of God. Amen. So we don't need to be so self consumed with ourselves that we can't see what God is doing. I love when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. What is God doing? What is God doing? He is creating something new. Even in pain, even in struggles, even in tension, even in confusion. Have faith and hope that God can do anything to anyone at any time. Look, my friends, for the glimmers of revival. Look for renewed hearts. Look for ways that we can participate in God's transforming love as an expression of our faith by how we love each other, with a spirit of gentleness, humility, and hope. This is not about you. This is about God's work, and we get to participate in it. We need one another. God has put us together as a family, and I pray that we can make every effort to preserve the bond of peace, the unity of Christ, It is okay to differ about non essential opinions and still walk together. Amen? I am so thankful for the diversity of the kingdom of God that it is not one nation, one tribe, one language that is going to bow before the throne. Amen? It is every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That is a lot. And that means that we are not going to necessarily agree. But God is calling us together and to proclaim God's love and unity as a witness to the whole world. In closing, Paul says this. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes I have far more important things to do, a serious living of this faith. I bear in my body scars from my service to Jesus. May what our master Jesus Christ gives freely be deeply and personally yours, my friends. Oh, yes. Amen. I think of a great story of gentle restoration. Two best friends hanging out. One ends up, uh, man, major public shame. Major, huge, ginormous. His best friend pretty much goes in with the public shaming. Totally disowns, unfriends him on Facebook. Then later, the truth comes out. Ready? Remember? That whole, this is your story, this is only what you know. The whole truth comes out. And his best friend's like, oh, snap. I just threw my friend under the bus. He comes back and he has a meal with his friend. They kick it over dinner. And this is what he says. After they finish eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Simon answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Take care of my sheep. The third time he comes, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, at this point, Peter's hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. i getting some feedback here. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered by these disputes anymore. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith. Like feeding sheep and taking care of lambs. Jesus comes, restores his best friend in a gentle way. Because it's time to get back to work. Amen? There's work to do. Jesus comes with the spirit of gentleness, without conceit or comparison or self centeredness. He's humble. Can you guys think of that time when God gently restored you when you were in sin? And is there someone that you need to gently restore? to remind them that you love them, even though they unfriended you. Gentle restoration is not passive. It involves intentional, genuine, and courageous steps of faith. It's not what we do or don't do. It's what God is doing. That is the new creation. That's the creating something new. And friends, let's restore gently and let's go out and be about the work of God. There are people who are hurting and hungry and lost and lonely here in the midst of our church and in our larger communities. And next week, we get to start the fall launch, which I'm super excited about, as we talk about um, a whole year-long theme on belonging and becoming um, we'll be clarifying, um, our values that the leadership team and the ministry team heads have been discerning for the last year, Burm, burp, burp, burp. and then finally to get here, I'm so excited. Um, we're going to ha- offer opportunities to go deeper with Jesus, um, invitations to build meaningful relationships and ways that you can use your gifts to serve and bless others in our neighborhood, our city, and throughout the world. Um, to go restore gently, be reconciled with one another, do it with humility, and let's get to work.